0: Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good, with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr, every week diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good, live from Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up Studios. The Uncommon
1: Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm doctor, but not the kind that can help you, Bud Marr. And we are being relatively unhelpful, live, me, here in Des Moines, Iowa, in the Central Time Zone, Iowa Catholic Radio's Mercy Live Up studio, Bo Bonner, Director of the Zita Institute for Foundations of Ethics and Leadership, and the Director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College of Health Science, and again, it's an open question about how I am directing you and towards what, as always, with Bud over in the Eastern... Standard time zone in Pittsburgh, America. How you doing there, bud?
2: I'm doing okay. Speaking of time zones, it was weird this week because I flew from Minneapolis to Denver, and I thought I had gained an hour like, of free living, but then flew to Pittsburgh and lost that hour. So <laughs> It was all very depressing, a washout
1: in the end. It's just a bunch of juggling with time zones. Bud it's coming from us, as always, from the National Institute of Newman Studies, where he is. Uh, are you the director of that place, too? Do we just direct a lot of stuff, bud?
2: Yeah, when they brought me on, they cut out the term executive, so just director. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they knew what I could handle.
1: Part-time director, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. well, uh, so like I said, we are using the miracle of technology to uh, one-two punch you from different time zones. We're here live on Iowa Catholic Radio. Uh, you're listening to us also on stations all across Oklahoma, or if you have the Iowa Catholic Radio app... Or you're listening online. You can be pretty much anywhere as long as you have what the kids call Wi-Fi. Bud, have you heard of this Wi-Fi? Wi-Fi. I'm still
2: amazed by the magic of Wi-Fi. Like I, my, myself adjust to technology slowly, so I kind of I can wrap my mind around televisions these days. Yeah. <laughs> but Wi-Fi. You walk into a coffee shop and you can pretty much look at anything.
1: Well, so uh, they also have wireless. Like you can power phones wirelessly now. You can charge them? Yeah, you can charge them wirelessly. You just set them on this thing, and I'm just all like, I know that my level of scientific thinking is basically that, like, magic trolls that are very small carry electricity to different places. I just don't understand how, like, it doesn't go through your body and and do stuff to you. But who knows, bud? This is, people are not here for the science of it all. They're here for something else. And maybe they should be very thankful that we're not Bo, Bo and Bud the science guys.
2: No, in class, we would do that thought experiment of like if the food supply stopped for a day or the power went out in Des Moines, like how long could you last survival wise? Mm-hmm. At airports, it's really a struggle for who can claim the um, the electrical outlets.
1: That's right. <laughs> like,
2: it was a big scramble in the Denver airport. I thought a riot was going to break out because there's just a limited supply of electrical outlets.
1: Yeah, and that's going to have to be your next book. Bud has a book out. Yeah. Uh, about Newman, but his next book's going to have to be like Surviving in Airports because you've been flying around and going to a lot of conferences lately. Well,
2: yeah, and I, I tried to warn readers a couple weeks ago that the book ended up being kind of expensive because it's geared towards um, library acquisitions. But I'm thinking of, I, I'm developing an idea of a book giveaway.
1: Ooh, so Stay tuned. Right, and so like that's a, a good way to talk about this is um, one way that you can help butt out Sands buying his um, executively priced book yeah. is you can go over to patreon.com so p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash icr iowa catholic radio and we have exclusive content that i think yeah. has been pretty great i know that it's me talking and you but uh jeb do you agree that this is something people want to sign up to Absolutely. oh uh, he said absolutely his mic didn't work you're
0: gonna have to trust me <laughs> absolutely yeah um Patreon's a great source for us to uh, help fund not only Bud Marr and his uh, lack of resources, but also (laughs) Iowa Catholic Radio. So if you love the programming...
1: You're not saying no to me. You're saying no to God. I like that. <laughs> Bud's, <laughs> it, Bud's lack of
2: resources. That's what, that's what it says on my business card. It's like Bud Marr, director, lack of
1: resources. Lack of resources. Yeah. You know who doesn't have a lack of resources, Bud? Well, let me actually put it this way. If yeah. you lack one resource, namely printer cartridges, you know where you should go? Tell him, Bud.
2: Cartridge World. It's uh, 801 73rd Street, Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400. And with the 4th of July coming up, I know some of you are going to have some pretty amazing fireworks displays. Print your flyers, promotional flyers.
1: This oh, <laughs> cartridge
2: world. <laughs> I like that.
1: Yeah, I let people know that you're lighting up the sky that night legally, unlike uh, where I live on the south side of Des Moines, where they just pretty much do that any night they feel like it. Also, you lack resources. For instance, an education, a job, a career where you can actually support your families. We got one for you. As always, writ- underwritten by Mercy College of Health Science, no wait lists. We have RN to BSN, Health Administration, Health Information Management, all online. We're starting an accelerated BSN program, a 12-month program for students with previous BA uh, that you can get into the health science world. MCHS.edu, fantastic place. Bud, even this summer, we're trucking along, aren't we?
2: Yeah, and I um, when I talk to folks in Central Iowa, you know, remind them that Mercy College is the one Catholic college in the heart of Des Moines. So, um, you know, it's a place where you can not only become a top, top-notch top medical professional, but also grow in your faith.
1: Well, and also coming up, just to let people know, um, on June 27th, so our show in a few weeks, we're actually yeah. going to have the new president, uh, Dr. Douglas Fiore, on. So it's going to be an interesting day. But who do we have on the show today? Let's tell them real quick before we have to go to commercials.
2: Yeah, so on the show today we have another resident Pittsburghian. Pittsburgh pal,
1: that's what I'm calling him. (laughs) Emily Stimson Chapman. She's
2: um, a Catholic writer here in Pittsburgh. She's published a book called The American Catholic Almanac. She's written recently about um, the intersection between faith and food. So I think it's going to be, you and I never pass up an opportunity to talk about food.
1: That's right. If only that, you know, we could all be on the in the same studio so that she could have brought food. So we're going to talk about that. <laughs> Stick around. Just here in a few minutes, we will back. Uh, be back with another one of Bud's Pittsburgh pals talking about palatable food for your uh, people. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back. But if people want to comment on things like uh, my exquisite use of alliteration in that last line, for instance, there's an easy place they can go to communicate with us. That is the Zip Whip Line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. If they want to alert us to know that there's a specific question they have for our show, hashtag UCG for the uncommon good. The Zip Whip Line... Five one five two two three eleven fifty. But what kind of messages do you want from the folks out there today? What what should we be begging people to show up on the text the zip whip line?
2: Oh, I think the topic of food opens up a lot of uh, avenues of exploration. So, um, if you want to let us know your favorite dish, uh, ooh, or you know, um, what did our Lord like think about these matters?
1: There you go. A lot of good questions. So the zip whip line. Five one five two two three eleven fifty hashtag UCG. Tell us what you like to eat and why. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back with Emily Stimson-Chapman
0: after this break. Thank you, Construction Professionals, for your support of Dowling Catholic Sports 365. Construction Professionals is a family-owned business dedicated to our customers. Whether designing, building, or renovating, we are here to better serve you. cpcustomhomes.com.
3: Support for programming of Catholic Women Now partially provided by Farm Bureau agent Cindy Schulte. Cindy Schulte on the web at CindySchulte.com, 515-226-2111. Cindy and her team know health insurance.
2: Programming support for Catholic Women Now is provided by Iowa's injury attorney, Fred Haas. For over 30 years, Fred Haas has helped injured Iowans recover financial, physical, and emotional losses from car, truck, and motorcycle accidents, work-related injuries, and injuries due to negligence. Most importantly, providing the professional, personal, and responsive legal counsel that everyone deserves. Fred, double D,
0: Haas, double A, the Des Moines Law Offices of Fred Haas. While we have time, let us do good. Get to know Dowling Catholic High School at its annual Open House for Prospective Students on Sunday, November 6, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. Families can take a tour of the renovated school led by a student ambassador, meet the teachers, gather information about student organizations, speak with the athletic coaches, and learn more about financial aid opportunities. There are games to play and prizes to win. It's a fun day for the whole family. For more information, contact Tasha Eyscheid, Director of Admissions at 515-222-1025, or log on to DowlingCatholic.org preparing leaders for life centered on Christ. Thank you, Caldwell Parish, for underwriting Iowa Catholic Radio, conformed to the wishes of the deceased and to Catholic liturgical burial traditions. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home, Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. CaldwellParish.com We're back with the uncommon good.
1: Bob Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr Today we have, like we said, one more, another great Pittsburgh pal of Bud. We want to really uh, thank Bud for exploring this gold mine out east. Uh, but uh, we've had wonderful people on the show that Bud, um, that, that's in the orbit of his life out there, and so we have someone else today. Bud, who is uh, our guest today?
2: Our guest this morning is Emily Stimson Chapin, who's an award-winning Catholic writer. Her books include The Catholic Table, Finding Joy, Where Food and Faith Meet, also, the American Catholic Almanac Chapman writes regularly about faith, hospitality, and food at her blog the dot com Emily, thanks for being with us this morning
3: oh it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on
2: so I'm kind of curious Bo and I um we uh, a couple years ago met Jeff Cavens and he told us about this ministry that he has where he does missions at Catholic parishes. but preceding the talk there's um, like a barbecue truck that shows up and And this got our wheels spinning, like, the different angles that you could possibly have, like, sort of teaching people about the faith. I'm curious, with your own path, how did you start uh, writing about uh, food, food and faith?
3: Well, for me, um, my coming back to the Catholic Church when I was 25 uh, was concurrent with me uh, overcoming an eating disorder. So I had struggled with anorexia for about six years at that point. And I, I was doing better, but was was still backsliding. Really struggling to have a have a healthy understanding of my body and what it meant to to care for my body and feed my body. And when I came back to the Catholic Church and was just reading like a crazy woman because mm-hmm. that's what I do, uh, discovering more about the Church's teachings on Eucharist and the theology of the body, and really having a sacramental worldview. You know, a world where you see matter as as grace, as something created by God and loved by God, that transformed the way I saw food. It transformed the way I saw eating. And so for me, the Catholic faith and food and God's love and the love we show to one another, it's all been bound up together for a really long time now.
2: Yeah, and reading your blog this week honestly was making me hungry uh, because yours is the first Catholic blog that I've come across that touched on the importance of eating cheese. So this really warmed my heart.
1: <laughs> I want to thank you for
2: that. But um, I really love that that kind of story that you tell. How did eating cheese change your perception of yourself in relationship to God?
3: Well, you know, when I was, so I was 25 and I was, had just come back to the church, and I went on my first trip overseas. I went to visit a friend of mine who was from Wales. And for years I had been eating, like, fat-free cheese i've been eating all these horrible you know non fattening non-caloric food products and when you don't eat good food for a long time you start to think it tastes okay like fat-free <laughs> ice cream right. and tofu like you get brainwashed you kill your taste buds so i went over to europe and in wales her mom kept serving us these amazing amazing cheeses and it was like fireworks going off in my mouth it was like I didn't know cheese could taste so good I'd forgotten so much and really through those types of experiences I was starting to see how food is a sign of God's love like cheese doesn't have to taste awesome bacon doesn't have to taste awesome you know there's all these things that don't have to taste great they don't even have to exist like we could just be soaking up our nutrition from the earth and rain like plants do but God filled the universe with all these tasty treats that we need to eat in order to be properly nourished, and I mean that's just a sign of his gratuitous love, just a total gift of delight that He has bestowed on us and so when I eat cheese, it's hard to you know not remember how much God loves me
1: emily this is yeah this is this is great this is beau over here i I've made a similar point about birds like they could just burp at each other for mating calls. <laughs> <laughs> but god has made them like sing songs right um you know he he he's 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 he goes overboard in a way right and I, that's what's so great about him is he goes overboard and in food this is awesome the thing with me is cheese cuz um i actually i'm an oblate down at a monastery and they didn't become beer monks or uh uh coffin monks they became cheese monks and oh, uh good monks. yeah good monks right so they make a really nice gouda and what I thought was really appropriate about this is, of course, cheese is, is very much, and anything really that you have to ferment, um, another way that it reflects the glory of God is it's all fermented, right? So it has to sort of go through a process of death before it's resurrected as the thing will eat. And and that's what I love about cheese, right, is it starts out as milk, and it ends up in yummy cheese, but you don't want to mess with it in the middle, right? It's, a, it's an absolute <laughs> smelly mess in the middle, but at the end... It comes out reborn as something, like you said, absolutely wonderful. And so even things like you know, cheese, kimchi, beer, uh, it's funny how so much of what humans figured out is how to let things rot well into perfection. And I, I kind of think that that's a, a lesson that even food and how it comes about can teach us about. How we live our lives, just just dwelling on how is it that we got cheese? Like I'm always like, who's the first person who figured out cheese? And the answer is a very lazy person. <laughs>
3: <laughs> no, that's awesome. You know, and that really that's part of the sacramental worldview too, too. I mean, as Catholics, we are called to look at everything in creation and realize that it's teaching us something about God. It's teaching us something about ourselves. Like the entire created world is an occasion for grace because there's always lessons just like that contained within it. My husband came in the other day and he said, you know, I just realized that there is cuteness in God. And I was like, what God cute. I don't usually think about that. And he's like, but God made bunny rabbits and bunny rabbits are cute. And somehow they reflect the creator. And so somehow there's this cuteness in God, there's majesty and there's cuteness. So yeah, it's it's such a much richer, more fruitful way to live when you can look at the created world and recognize how much truth there is around us and how much we can learn about ourselves and God and how to become the people he created us to be.
1: Well, this also reminds me, I was, I was looking up an old-timey um, like act of devotion or act of love towards God, You know, the sort of prayer um, where you, you, you state the fact that I'm going to have faith in God or I'm going to have hope or love. And this act said something to the effect of, God, I, I know that you are happy in yourself, and it was one of those deals where, you know, we're always thinking that, you know, he's making us happy or we're going to be happy if we find him. How often do we think that God is happy? That God himself, like if he's going to be the yeah. the, the the being we say is that he's happy and that he has delight. And once you get your mind wrapped around that, it starts to make sense that he does exactly what you're talking about. Like we have to have food. We have to um, regenerate our energy in order to do things. And on one hand right he 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 does that he 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 puts it both ways something must die so that you must live but on the other hand this is full of delight this refueling that like you said could be stripped of all sort of wonder and awe he fills with delight why because he is happy in himself and um i just frankly that that kind of blew my mind to think about it that way
3: no, I love that, because that's what we're made for. We were made for joy. We're not made to be, you
1: know, rotting.
3: <laughs> we're made <laughs> to live eternally and have joy, and we have to pass through sort of this purgatorial process here on earth, and sometimes in purgatory, because of sin. But yeah, God God wants us to be joyful, and He, even in this purification of life, is still just showering us with signs of His own happiness and joy, which we're supposed to partake in someday.
2: Well, and Emily, one thing I really liked about your blog is, um, like, it gets into this theological exploration that we're doing this morning, but there's also a lot of brass tacks that I found there and just, like, really helpful advice about things that we face every day. Now, um, if I could play devil's advocate for a moment. At one point, you were talking about um, your struggles with an eating disorder and how you kind of moved out of that, and you Mm -hmm. said, like, one piece of advice that you threw out there was eat only when you're hungry, stop when you're full, listen to your body, and I really like that idea, but it doesn't seem to work very well for me. I mean, like, I, I go into meals thinking, I'm only going to eat till I'm, till I'm full. And then it's like I go into this trance and I wake up an hour later and it's like, oh, <laughs> I'm more than full. <laughs> um, you
3: know, I had to play around with that for a while though to figure that out because yeah. I'd been eating so little for so long and then I would binge and I'd eat too much. And so my body didn't know what it meant to be hungry or full. So it was like I had to intentionally sometimes eat more to go, okay, that was too much. And then I would intentionally eat less and go, okay, next meal I can eat more. And so it was really a process. It wasn't like I just one day said, eat when I'm hungry, stop when I'm full. Okay, got it done. It was it was an ongoing process, and it took a vow. Like, I had to make a vow to God. It's not just like, okay, I'm going to do this, but all right, Lord, I am solemnly committing. I want to care for my body like you want me to care for it, so I'm going to follow these rules. And I'm a choleric, so <laughs> <laughs> rules are easy for me to okay, follow. Like, my nature sense. is rules. I love rules. Yeah. So if someone is not a rule person, that's going to be harder. But for me, I was like, okay, this is the personality God gave me. This is what works for me. So this is how I'm going to approach that
1: issue. Yeah, yeah. not a not a rule person here. Uh what, <laughs> what's what's the one where where you have a lot of uh spleen I suppose. Uh like so with bonners we always joked around that when it said all you can eat buffet, we never thought saw that as like a description of of a service but a dare and that was always a problem. <laughs> You're like, "Oh. You say that. But uh uh w- what I actually think um What else you you point out? I was talking in class yesterday about Aristotle and happiness and what do people think happiness means. And people brought up food. They go, food makes them happy. And I thought it was interesting because usually when people throw that out, what they mean is like the immediate pleasure they get out of the food, which, of course, we have. And we just talked about how wonderful things taste. But there's so much more to food. And I think that's what you're getting at is food is very intertwined with um, our relationship between not only ourselves and God, ourselves and the land, ourselves and each other. Like every meal in some way is a connection to other people. Even if you get it and eat it alone through fast food, um, human hands, whether they've been paid well or not, have, have have contributed to the fact of that food. And so when we start being mindful about food, which I think is what the Catholic Table website, uh, that's what I garner from you, when we start to be mindful of food, we start to see... That not only relationships but joy is intertwined in it in so many ways it 's not just the actual pleasure of the food tasting well and and nice it 's actually when we can eat together, when it reminds us of 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 our why we should be you know have gratitude, when it reminds us of the thick communities we have that bring us food and so i I think you it makes total sense that, that this is what you 're leaning into to say if we 're going to recover a Catholic sense of community. Food is a place to start.
3: Yeah, and I would even one up you on that because I think food is, it is, it has so much to teach us about love and community and depending on one another and that we're all created for communion. But ultimately, the reason that we should be joyful about food is it's a sign of the Eucharist. You know, God. God wasn't surprised by what happened in the salvation history. It's not like the Eucharist was a plan. He concocted a few thousand years into man's existence. Like, God always knew he was going to give himself to us body to body and flesh to flesh. Like, he knew he was going to pour his life into us through the Eucharist. So, the Eucharist doesn't necessarily help us understand food, but food is supposed to help us understand the Eucharist. You know, everything food accomplishes on the natural level. Food is comfort and joy and sacrifice and community, all of that points to what the Eucharist does in our souls. And so ultimately, yes, like we should be rejoicing in food for all the reasons you mentioned. But most of all, because it's a window into the total sacrificial, gratuitous love that gets poured out on us every time we go to Mass. And And for me, that was the issue with the eating disorder that that really transformed things.
1: And I'm going to one-up you. One more time. Whoa, whoa, Yeah, let's just keep this going. <laughs> like a throw down Yeah. <laughs> one up the one up. <laughs> uh, so uh, Alexander schmamon um, an, an Orthodox priest, he wrote that it's precisely with food where when we talk about the priesthood of all believers, but even the sort of like priestly nature of humanity in and of themselves comes because when we, like, the, and this is the connection, like you said, with uh, the Eucharist before all time, when God made man... Uh, flesh, and spirit, now when we consume food, it's a priestly act because we take the material world and we, so to speak, offer it up into our spiritual endeavors. You know, it, it's weird to think, right, that both rutabaga and, you know, um, a chicken can actually be used to think up of theology or philosophy or poetry or prayers, but that's exactly what food is. It's, it's a priestly act to eat. Whereas we take the material world and by allowing it to nourish our bodies, it also nourishes our souls and, uh, you know, makes the capacity for the spiritual endeavors that we do. So, I, I like, you know, I, we were joking about one-upping, but I actually think it's the thread through all of this is why food is important. It points to the Eucharist. It makes us understand it better. It's why God chose the sacrament as he did. But it's also the sort of priestly act that all of us do, right? Not the priesthood reserved for uh, the priests of the altar, but this sort of priesthood by the v- sheer nature of who, hum- who human beings are.
3: No, I think that's so true. And, you know, even the act of cooking is sacrificial. So I'm having a dinner party tonight. We're having some friends over. Um, and I've got to cut my work early, which I'm really stressed because there's a lot of deadlines. So I'm going to not work, and I'm going to go to the store, and I'm going to spend money, and I'm going to spend time in the kitchen. And I'm going to pour my love into this food that I'm preparing for them. And so there's this active priestly sacrifice, like you're sacrificing your time, your energy, your money, so that you can show people love, so that you can bring people together in community. So, yeah, there's this priestly act that runs through everything having to do with food.
2: Well, and Emily, in talking about community, um, you you write some about how, again, finding a place where you had... Like a a healthy understanding of of food, part of it was making new friends and friends played a big role and i mean you you sort of like it sounds like you 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 switched friends in a way to start like thinking about food differently
3: well, you know I didn't so much switch friends to start thinking about food differently I think my um i made i when I came back into the Catholic Church, I definitely made a lot of new friends mm-hmm. um, but food was i loved. It cooking for people even before uh, I came back into the church. I remember when I was a sophomore in college, so even without being able to make those connections, and I made some like, fat-free cookies for people for Christmas, and they were terrible. <laughs> and so I made a vow at that point. I was like, all right, I will never serve gross fat-free food to people again, no matter what I'm making myself eat. Amen. So. Even even with my Protestant friends, who were awesome, and I never can say anything bad about my time away from the church, because I was surrounded by these amazing Protestants who helped me to really know Jesus and learn what it meant to be a disciple, and I was blessed so much by my time with them. Um, and so with them, I kind of got my first taste of community and loving people through food. But it really was when I came to Steubenville to start grad school and had a little more time than when I was a busy you know staffer on Capitol Hill to start seeing how food regularly enjoyed with large groups of people could be such an instrument for for building community and bringing people together and just giving people a safe place where they could belong, which yeah. is something that so many people need in this world you know what
1: so, if you were in Capitol Hill, part of the reason it's probably hard to cook is because at that time. It's like there were no grocery stores. I I just went back, <laughs> no. and, like, D.C. is not even what D.C. used to be. Like, people don't even know. Like, there's actually, like, stores you recognize. But, like, 10 or 15 <laughs> years ago, you had to, like, do a secret code, like, in a video game to find a grocery store. <laughs> so- oh, my
3: gosh. It's true. We used to joke. We're like, all right, we could... We could go to the super sketchy Safeway that's like five miles away. We can drive out into the suburbs where there's actual grocery stores. So that makes grocery shopping like a whole night endeavor. Or you could go spend a fortune, which we never had at the Whole Foods. So, yeah, it was hard. We ate out a lot when we were, we ate out a lot then. We did, we totally lived in a food desert.
1: Yeah, Washington, D.C. Safeways are followed by a comma, ha ha ha, afterwards. because was uh. <laughs> the, the irony of it all. Um, we're coming up on the break, but like, I, you know, I, I throw that out there, and sorry, but I think I interrupted you. Can, no, no, it's okay. Um, what I, I think that's interesting about this, I, I know we're joking around about D.C., Uh, But I do think that there's something about that is when you start having even something like the grocery stores are all in satellite communities, um, there's not some place you go and get to know people. Again, we start dissecting how food works, and then we start realizing that we're actually even truncating some of the the experience uh, that goes into making food. Like, how many people know their butcher anymore? But used to, that was, I mean, I'm sad about this because I would love to know the guy that like cut steaks because then i would like be his friend and and i'm imagining (laughs) that i would bring him booze and he would give me better cuts of steak you see that's but uh, i'm joking around but i think that that comes into it too we don't even have friendships uh in that regard and so it being in a food desert matters for what you're talking about
3: it does because we're disassociated from how our food comes to us i mean there's so many people who don't have any idea really where cheese comes from like They don't know that it's the cow's milk that makes the cheese. Um, Or all they're doing is buying frozen foods. And so there's no joy of cooking. There's no sacrifice in cooking for others. So huge lessons about food are being missed because of this fractured, overly busy, consumeristic, detached from the land, detached from craft culture that we live in.
2: Um, So I I like the way that Emily put it a few minutes ago when I said switching friends and she said no is more like expanding friendships. And, like, a thread that I hear in the conversation as well is, like, this really, like, something like cooking the sacrifice that you make there can be um, a form of evangelization, like forging these friendships, and maybe that's what we can talk about when we come back, like, this kind of how, how even like the sacrifice of cooking can stand out in our culture that has these kind of Gnostic tendencies.
1: That's right, and I'm going to have to make the sacrifice to say we have to go to break. When we get back, we'll follow up uh, exactly on those sort of issues. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back after this break. Friends, if you want to comment on the show, like I said, we always have the Zip Whip line. Five one five two two three eleven fifty. Just hashtag us at UCG for the Uncommon Good. Also, if you'd like to leave comments, we have Iowa Catholic Radio as our Facebook page. We also have at IA Catholic Radio as our Twitter handle at IA Catholic Radio. You can also sign up for our bi-weekly e-newsletter. Mailed every other Wednesday, complete easy-to-navigate source for station headlines, event registration program highlights, and more. Only two emails per month, so we do not bombard your inbox at all. But like we said, you want to tap in, talk to us. We'd love to hear from you, all those different venues. This is The Uncommon Good. We'll be back after this.
3: Support for programming of Catholic Women Now, partially provided by Farm Bureau agent Cindy Schulte. Cindy Schulte on the web at cindyschulte.com. 515-226-2111. 515-226-2111. Cindy and her team know health insurance.
0: Thank you, Caldwell Parish, for underwriting Iowa Catholic Radio. Conform to the wishes of the deceased and to Catholic liturgical burial traditions. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home, Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. CaldwellParish.com
1: Support for The Uncommon Good is provided by Cartridge World. Cartridge World is an industry leader delivering high-performance printing products that help you save time, money, and print great.
2: Perfect for businesses, home offices, college students, or busy moms trying to find affordable printing supplies including ink, toner, paper, or printers. For business customers, pickup and
1: delivery are available. Products are guaranteed or full replacement. Cartridge World, your low-cost, environmentally friendly printing experts. 801 73rd Street in Windsor Heights, 515-564-7400 and online at cartridgeworld.com.
0: Corral Contractor serves Des Moines and Central Iowa for all earth-moving and excavating needs. Family-owned since 1959, Corral Contractor will complete a project you can be proud of, on budget and on time. Corral Contractor, 515-221-9669 or corralcontractor.com. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full-service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. Thank you, Golden Rule Plumbing Heating and Cooling, for sponsoring my show. John Lee and Eddie in the morning on Iowa Catholic Radio. Golden Rule, servicing Des Moines for over 15 years. They obey the rules to live by, especially the Golden Rule. Online at GoldenRulePHC.com.
1: We're back with the Uncommon Good. Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr. We have with us. One of Bud's wonderful Pittsburgh pals. I'll let him reintroduce her back to the show. Bud, go ahead. So we're talking this
2: morning with Emily Stimson-Chapman. She writes at the thecatholictable.com, um, and you can find her books wherever books are sold. So, uh, Emily, thanks again for being back with us. You know, um, one of your blog posts, I can really identify with this one, because you say at the top of the list of things you don't understand is Pittsburgh traffic. And <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think my guardian angel that I'm alive seven months into living here, because it's really been harrowing at times. But further down, or like close near the top of the list, is uh, dry dinner parties. So dinner parties without wine or some form of beer. Um, what, what did you have in view when you wrote wrote that post?
3: Well, you know, I, I've i come to the conclusion that I think my group of friends drinks a lot. <laughs> okay. No, It's, it's yeah. one of those things that you go out and you're... God, you read the Bible and God talks about giving us wine to make man's heart glad. Like gladness <laughs> is actually a synonym in the scripture for, for wine. So whenever you see gladness that's usually in a food post, that's talking about wine. <laughs> uh, so there's, there's something about wine that increases, or beer, or, or martinis, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. It increases sociability. It helps people to relax. Like Usually when you go to a group of, with people you don't know, there might be a little tension or you're stressing about the work that didn't get done, or your two-year-old is not you know, potty trained yet, and just a little bit of alcohol, not a lot, not drinking to excess, but drinking yep. as St. Thomas Aquinas would say to the point of hilarity, allows you to relax. It allows you to let go of some of those struggles that were weighing you down before you walked into the dinner party, and really open yourself up to others so that you can see what they're struggling with, see who they are. There's a an element of conviviality that goes with wine and beer that is you know has hints of the merriment of heaven.
1: See, as a as a as a convert and who grew up Southern Baptist to. Two two texts that I almost that I, I I and we read the Bible all the time growing up. But two texts I was surprised when I was considering becoming Catholic. One is John six uh, and the whole you know Eucharistic discourse. I'm like, how did I never notice that? But then the other one was exactly the Psalm you're talking about. And I was like, what's this about? Or is it the Proverbs? Either way, it was like, what's this about wine gladdening the hearts of men, mom and dad? That doesn't that doesn't seem to work <laughs> out with teetotaling. Now I think this is interesting for two reasons. One. I didn't drink until grad school ever, and I'm the other the person who who got me into it is actually the other person on the line, but My mom yeah, and dad still say thank you for introducing yeah. me to good beer. <laughs> um, but second, what I think is interesting, m- my family was teetotaling by the time I came around because there was so much alcoholism in my family. Yeah, and I and I, so I understand the initial impulse. But I think this goes back, Emily. This is sort of related to what you were saying with um, your your issues with food earlier in your life. I understand having a stark reaction to something like alcohol, um, but it seems to miss the point about what we mean by moderation. And the funny thing about moderation is, if it, if what we mean is just like staying in the middle, we're actually sort of missing something out. I think that what you know moderation is using things well. And when you don't imagine that alcohol can be used for anything other than getting completely blitzed, the problem is not how much you drink. It's a a, a failure of the imagination to understand what it means to use alcohol well or food well or anything like that. And so I think that that's what people need to start worrying about maybe is less the amount and how can we imagine to do it well like you're talking about.
3: Right. I mean, I think there's this tendency in human beings that's been there since you know, the garden, that we misuse the good things God has given us. So we eat apples we're not supposed to eat, you know, mm-hmm. or we we eat too much food, we buy too many cars, we want too much money, we drink too much alcohol, we take things that are a blessing to relieving pain and become addicted to them. Um, it's a misuse of the good. So that really is always the mean that we're called to, is what did God give us this thing for because the devil can't create like satan can't satan can't create he can only twist god's creation or lead us to twist god's creation so when we look at that thing and say okay well how am i called to use that properly and then go from there yeah so that really is in a sense the moderation it's it's the mean it's the proper use it's finding balance which is right where god is wanting us to use those things
1: i don't know god uh, the devil might have made fireball that stuff is nasty <laughs> uh,
3: he took different things that god had already okay made. right
1: <laughs> he took whiskey and antifreeze and put it together that's true okay your point still stands
2: <laughs> Bo, fireball is a privation of the good
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, so uh, think
2: how awesome uh, it
3: would have been to be, be a cana when jesus made the this nasty, dirty foot washing water and turned it into the finest wine any of these wedding guests, guests had ever tasted. And I was really lucky because my cousin actually married um, uh, a fa- into a family. They're like wine princes and princesses of Bordeaux. So when, oh, wow. for their wedding, I got to go to Petrus, which is one of the most impressive, you know, greatest winemakers in the world, and had like two glasses of Petrus at 9 a.m. That was my breakfast. So I think about that experience, and then I think about how much better the wine at Cano would have been. And, you know, I'm hoping Jesus is going to give us some of that in heaven. I'm really hoping <laughs> they'll be eating and drinking yeah, in heaven. You're, you're holding
1: that out, yeah. <laughs> yes.
3: Well, I
2: um, I know, Emily, you've written some about, like, American Catholicism and the history of the church here in America. And like Bo, I grew up in a tradition where, like, part of the gospel was don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls who do. And I, I feel like this this kind of like temptation to see things in excess is maybe like a counter-reaction to a sort of like a a Puritanism or maybe like a Gnostic streak in American Christianity. Do you think these struggles like with your travels in different parts of the world are like uniquely American? Or is there something about the culture here that sort of drives us to think of things in that way?
3: I mean, I would say they're necessarily uniquely American, but definitely distinctively American or more American. So A lot of that, from what I've seen, is rooted in a distrust of the body and the created world and the idea that God can actually enter into creation. He can enter into bread and wine and water and oil and use all those things, you know, pour his grace into those things so that those become a means of sanctification. So Protestantism, and particularly the Puritanism that really dominated America, because um, Europe still had a lot of Catholics over there balancing yeah. things out. Uh, that Puritanism, that distrust of the body, the distrust of the created world, I mean, I think those are some of the ideas that actually fed my eating disorder um, because you can be Catholic, which I grew up Catholic, but I did not grow up thinking like a Catholic. I grew up taking in this, you know, sort of the ideas, the Protestant-turned-modernist ideas that the body is bad, the body is a problem that needs to be controlled um, and it was the Catholic idea of grace entering into the body and redeeming the body and using matter to heal the body that helped me start seeing the goodness of all created things, you know food, wine, martinis with blue cheese stuffed olives, all the good stuff.
1: Well, and we actually had someone on our uh, text line texting, and they pointed out that uh, this is a hard conversation for those who are alcoholics, and I'm not sure exactly where this came in. I think this was about five minutes ago. But I actually think that that these two things relate. Um, I don't want to, of course, at all uh, diminish the struggle that alcoholics face, uh, nor people with eating disorders. What I think starts to be interesting about all of this is So I I think about monks who willingly give up many of the good things of this life. So someone might throw back, like, well, you guys just, here you are talking about how wonderful cheese is and wine. What are they doing? Does this call into question everything? Isn't the point of monasticism saying the world is evil and full of temptations and, uh, you know, you're escaping from them? But I actually think that the height of something like being willing to give up something um, for the betterment of your soul has to be rooted in the fact that you know it's good uh, and that the world is good and that your body is good, but that you are willingly giving this up for a higher purpose. If all we're doing in the world is avoiding things um, because they they tempt us and can and run astray, um, that logic will, will inevitably start swallowing up the good things in life that we can't live without, uh, people. I mean, you want to talk about the greatest temptation in my life, uh, is always right now my children doing something crazy that i 'm that 'm going to yell at them and 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 fall afoul of 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 wrath you know um temptation and difficulty are like we said interwoven in this life, and there are people both for health reasons and for spiritual reasons who should be willing to give up um right. the good things in this life, but that has to be rooted in the fact knowing that they are good and that there is a way to appropriate them correctly even if we are willing to give them up. So that sacrifice is not a sacrifice. Like, like I think the Old Testament, no one gave burnt offerings of the worst goats. They gave the best goats. And we have to keep that in mind, I think.
3: Yeah, I think, you know, I have a severe anaphylactic peanut allergy. I did not develop that allergy until I was in my mid-20s. So I have good, fond memories of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups and Pad Thai and... You know, all the good stuff that you can do with peanuts, Uh, but peanuts can kill me. So I can't have peanuts anymore uh, is one of the just realities of living in a fallen world. Some of us have broken bodies. Some of us have little kinks in our spirit that God is going to be working out for the rest of our life. And so that means we have to deny ourselves sometimes things that are good in and of themselves that aren't good for us. So peanuts are a great source of protein, have all sorts of good things to offer most people, but they're not good for me. I don't deny peanuts goodness, even though, you know, I know it could kill me. I just recognize that my body is broken. And so I don't get to partake of that goodness now. And I think it's similar to that with with alcohol or somebody who has celiac disease and can't have cookies and scones made of wheat flour. Um, there's those things in and of themselves are good, but part of my part of my adherence to Christ's suffering on the cross and Christ's sacrifice is I'm being asked to forego this good thing in the world. And to embrace that but not say, Oh, it's a bad thing is always a challenge for us because we wanna call you know, it's much easier to say, Oh, that's a bad thing, that's a horrible thing for people. Yeah. But it's really just a horrible thing. It's a good thing for you, even in a sense, because it's calling you to sacrifice. It's calling you to forego a good. Mm. It's calling you to unite yourself to Christ.
1: That's a
2: fantastic so even, point. Yeah.
3: yeah. So that's what I would say.
2: Well, this, this is less theologically profound, but what do people with peanut allergies do when they fly? Because I... I just flew back from Minneapolis, and the peanuts were flying inside of the, <laughs> I <know>. the airplane.
3: <laughs> I have to tell the airlines beforehand that uh. I have a peanut allergy, so that they have to not have peanuts on board. They have to do an extra cleaning, and I always make sure to have, you know, stuff with oh, wow. me just in case. And yeah, it stinks. But the it's, it's good thing about it on Southwest, well, I shouldn't... I always get to pre bore so I can make sure that I extra clean my spot. So you know, it is it is annoying. It is a super, super, super annoying allergy. Especially for somebody who doesn't want to say ever make herself particular about food. Like pickiness. is one of if you want to irritate me, come to my house and suddenly become a picky eater. (laughs) So So it's a cross for me to have to be particular about anything. But like I said, try to unite myself to Christ here.
1: The the peanut allergy and then I, I knew someone who had a cinnamon allergy. And, oh, I, yeah, I think uh, I think the food industry gets together and decides they don't like those two groups because it is crazy <laughs> what those two things show up in. It, to me, it shows the sort of lack of confectuary imagination of American desserts that when they run out of ideas, they're like, uh, throw some peanuts in there. And you're like, this is <laughs> strawberry. This is strawberry cheesecake. Peanuts. Just do it. <laughs> Uh so sorry to throw America under the bus. I, I, I you know, I maybe I, I have a, a soft spot in my heart for Belgian chocolates and things like this, but we put peanuts in a in a an absurd yeah, amount of things.
3: Yeah, I read a lot of labels. We don't buy many prepackaged things, we do a yeah. lot of our own cooking, so Okay, we're well, going to get off you- topic
1: about peanuts, but please save us, because I, I, I have more peanut questions that we need to stop.
2: Well, we've, we've covered, we've covered uh, cheese and wine and peanuts. I know, Emily, you've also spoken in parishes about the theology of the body. I think everything that we've been saying about a sacramental worldview ties into also um, healing our understanding, or giving us a proper understanding of, of the goodness of sex and how this um, can be one of the ways that God's grace uh, reaches into our lives.
3: Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I lots of, the theology of the body is, you know, it's not a theology of sex. It is a theology of what it means to be it a human person made yeah. in the image of God with, you know, a body and soul that are perfectly united to each other. And so a lot of people, when they hear theology of the body, they're like, oh, sex, sex. <laughs> but if you don't, you know, they're like, oh, everyone likes to talk about sex. I've been waiting for this. But not yeah. everyone is wounded in that area. And so yeah. people who have really healthy marriages or who don't carry those wounds from the culture, they hear Theology of the Body, they think, oh, it doesn't have anything to do with me. Like, there's no there's no wisdom I'm going get, to get from that. There's no graces. But I didn't have those wounds. And so my first encounter with The Theology of the Body was the actual book. I saw it sitting on a table, and I was like, huh. I got issues with my body. The Pope has something to say about it. Maybe I should read the book. And reading that book was such a profound encounter with grace for me. It helped me understand what it meant to be a woman, you know, with strong opinions and that that was okay. It didn't make me less feminine. It helped me to understand how I was called to love and give. And most of all, it helped me to see how precious my body was, not because of its size or its shape but because of what it allowed me to do in the world. And so whether you are struggling with you know, thinking your identity is wrapped up in your, the money in your bank account or the purse is hanging in your closet, or if you are you know, struggling with your nature as a man or as a woman, whether you're struggling with infertility, whether you're struggling with you know, so many different issues, the theology of the body has something to say about that because it has something to say about it, what it means to be a human person and the goodness of that and the purpose of that. So, yeah, so all this is tied up with
1: that. Well, I wanted to also say thank you because uh, I agreed with you when you said you read the, you know, the actual sermons, the theology of the body, and then uh, read a certain really popular person. We don't need to make a big deal about it. But, and you were like, did we read the same stuff? Because I was like, <laughs> thank you. I felt exactly the same way. Uh, that the other thing I'll throw out, because we're running out of time, is um, we need to talk to the people who make Theology of the Body books and point out that people don't need to smile so much on all the covers. Like, settle down <laughs> with the the really, you know, like, like their face muscles have to hurt smiling. Like, the, 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 the message is good enough without you needing to oversell it. Um,
3: That's right. I put food and, like, cute... I was a Picasso picture on my theology, the body book. See, so like, I'm, I'm going with you there. That's Picasso. right. You're
1: already, yeah, you're you're already uh, uh, an all star on this show. We need to have you back, and we can just talk about. We can just go r- rifle through book covers and talk about whether we think they help uh, the faith or not. <laughs> well, that
3: sounds like a fantastic episode. Yeah,
1: just an hour of just uh, hate talk on book covers, because I want to tell you. <laughs> I, and I need to wrap up, but I could totally do that because I, I can, there's not a day that goes by in a bookstore that I go, who chose this cover? Uh, <laughs> so, at uh, any rate, listen, it has been fantastic to have you on. I, I always knew that if someone wanted to talk about the intersection of faith and food that I was going to be on board, uh, but this really hit it out of the park. This has been fantastic, a lot of fun. We have to have you back on at some point, maybe so, around some of the big uh, foodie type uh, holidays. Maybe maybe having you on around Thanksgiving and stuff like that would be oh, a, a yeah. real treat. Does that sound good?
3: That's like my wheelhouse. Sounds great.
1: Alright. Well, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, just one, or one more time, can you tell people if uh, they're interested where they might find more of your work?
3: Yeah, they can go to the com and you'll find me blogging about food and houses and uh, the adoption process we're currently in and uh, also be able to see all of my books there.
1: thank you so much, Bud. uh, You're doing a great job getting some great catches out Pittsburgh way. Uh, So thanks for uh, getting Emily on the show for us. Yeah, thanks,
2: Emily. And tell Chris I said hello. (laughs) I will.
3: It was great talking to you guys. Bye-bye.
1: Well, Bud, another show wraps up, and I am maybe the hungriest I've been at the end of the show in a long time.
2: (laughs) No, I think, uh, you know, when Emily was talking on the show today, I was like, man, when we talk about catechesis, like sometimes we overthink things. Like, I bet if we got teenagers just talking about, like, cheese and, you know, uh, and getting into some of these topics, it might be a nice forway, uh, foray into the faith.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think I mean, that You have to be
2: careful what topics you bring up. But.
1: Theology of the body, comma, and cheese. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's already a more appealing book, I think.
2: <laughs> well, uh, you were talking about your hate for book covers. Mine is, like, got this spiral staircase on the front. Did you think that was? I I actually chose that.
1: No, no, I thought that that would make sense uh, with with what you were talking about to change often and you're progressing up the stairs and everything like that. If you would have like shown one like with two people lovingly looking over into their eyes, overly smiling, I would have been like, "Bud, you're that's that's not Newman, buddy."
2: No, it was either staircase or like Rowan Williams dressed up like a druid. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. <laughs> yeah.
1: I don't even know where to go on that one. <laughs> Sorry, I do not mean to kill the conversation. Oh, you, we're, we're, the, the, Just blame it on the peanuts. You, you yeah. had some peanut, too many peanuts on the, the many plane rides you've been taking. Oh, well, this was a fantastic show. Uh, already wrapping up like uh, always too early. Uh, this is The Uncommon Good. Uh, and Again, for Bud, I want to thank our guest Emily. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the listener who wrote in on the text line. Uh, this is The Uncommon Good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign. In our hearts, in our families, in our city, our state, the entire nation, hemisphere, the entire world, galaxy. This has been The Uncommon Good. God bless, folks, and we will see you again in a week. Take care. So, bud, if people want to get connected to our show, if they want to be a part of what's going on at Iowa Catholic Radio, we've discussed how you can text in 515-223-1150, zip-whip line. Social media, Iowa Catholic Radio for Facebook, at Catholic Radio, our Twitter handle. In Tune, our bi-weekly newsletter. Uh, we got events coming up. We're going to have a wine collection party here in July. We have Iowa State Fair booth August 9th uh, through 19th. Christ Our Life Conference coming up in September. All sorts of things you can do. But throughout the day, how can they be a part of our ministry?
2: I would encourage our listeners to think about Iowa Catholic Radio as even a way to structure their prayer life. So each morning at 5.30 a.m., uh, we pray the rosary together. The Angelus is at 6. And then later that evening, 9.30, you get the rosary, followed by a gospel reflection with Monsignor Larry Beeson is just a, a wonderful, amazing priest. And it's great to have friends of the station out like that in the diocese.
1: And even... Even going further, and I I agree with Bud, Like one of the reasons that we we do what we do here at Iowa Catholic Radio is so the message of Jesus Christ uh, is on 24-7 on the dial, can penetrate walls, prison walls, house walls, all these uh, walls that people can hear us at any time and listen to an encouraging message of the Lord or pray together. Um, but also the ministry is not just the people talking on the radio, the people behind the boards or the people behind the desks. It's also you. And if you appreciate what's going on here, if you want to be a part of the ministry of Iowa Catholic Radio, um, we're a nonprofit and we take donations all year long. We appreciate your donations because that allows you to be a part of the ministry and getting the word out, reaching people with the word of Jesus Christ. Like we've said at the top of the show, we have a Patreon account, patreon, dot com slash ICR for Iowa Catholic Radio. Um, the idea here is if you become a donor for just $5 a month, you can hear exclusive content from, uh, right now it's Bud and I, but uh, maybe we can get other people um, at the station doing things as well. And the idea is that we're trying to raise specific funds to help uh, with equipment. So, for instance, Bud out in Pittsburgh, we can get a Comrex Opal as it's called, and then um, he will be uh, come in even clearer. We'll have guests that can sound better as well. Uh, so again, patreon.com slash ICR. Um, but as always, we will take your donations to help us with our ministry. Bud, been a great time talking to you, buddy. I hope you have a good time uh, the rest of the week out there, out Pittsburgh way.
2: Yeah, it was kind of nice to talk about foods without having to get into the Pittsburgh salad. So I was really appreciative of emily and all that she brought to the show today
1: <laughs> fantastic this is the uncommon good folks take care we will see
0: you on the flip side the uncommon good with Bob bonner and dr bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast just search for the uncommon good